Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, that we may know Emmanuel, God with us. Come, Holy Spirit, with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how is your Christmas shopping going? How's your Christmas shopping going? Are you brave enough to uh, indicate how well by a raise of hands? So, hands up if you're the lucky finished group of people. Oh, some, maybe more than I expected. So, well done you, because I'm slightly jealous. Hands up if you're about 50% away there, or about there, or somewhere between 50 to 100. Hands up if you've not even started. Oh, there's a few. There's a few. Well done for being brave enough to share. There's a certain degree of pressure with presents, is there not? That a present, a gift, says so much. That in the giving of a gift, we communicate not only care for that person, but we, we communicate whether we know that person. Do we know what their likes are, what their, their needs are, what their, their wishes and dreams are? And in the giving of a gift, we communicate to them then that, that we see them. We see them as they truly are. Today is our third Sunday of Advent and our third week in this theme of waiting. We've waited with the prophets on the hope of restoration. We've waited with Elizabeth and Zechariah on, the God, on God breaking the silence. And today, we wait with Mary. She is the traditional figure for the third week of Advent, and we do find her waiting. She is, of course, waiting for a new chapter of her life to begin, waiting to be married. And soon we'll hear of her waiting for nine long months for a special arrival, which we'll come to around watch night. But for now, there's another waiting that Mary has experienced, a waiting that has been part of her life, all her life. It's a deeper, more raw waiting, a waiting that some of us may know, some of us may be experiencing just now. It comes across most clearly in her song, She said at the start, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She glorifies God. Mary magnifies, is is another possible translation of that word, magnifies God's person, his name, his character, his attributes. And that's where we get the name of her song in the Latin, Magnificent. She magnifies the Lord because he's done something for her. The Lord has been mindful. And and that word portrays something of to be looked upon, to, to have someone gaze at you. In short, God has seen Mary. He has seen her. And that's all the more incredible because of what we read at the start of our passage, where we read that she is from Nazareth in Galilee, just a little backwater place obscure, and generally held in contempt by wider Jewish society because people there had to deal and rub shoulders with Gentiles, and well, you didn't do that kind of thing. 
But Mary hears that the Lord has been mindful of her. She has been seen. Yet Mary knows that the Lord has not only seen her, because she goes on. His mercy extends from generation to generation. He has brought down rulers, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Across generations, for people from all different walks of life, God has seen them. Because God is a God who sees. And he sees you. And he sees me. He sees us. And this moves Mary to praise and magnify the Lord. I wonder, friends, do you know this of the Lord? That he sees you. He sees you. That in the waiting, whatever the waiting might be of your life, not only is there hope for the future, and not only is there God's word to speak into the silence, but you are seen. You are seen as you truly are. You've been seen by God from before your conception. You've been seen by God across all the days of your life. You're seen in the struggle and in the pain, and you're seen in the rest and the joy. You are seen. You are seen down to the number of hairs on your head. And that was startling news, startling revelation for Mary. That the God of all creation, the God who is sovereign and oversees the whole of creation from heaven, that he, with all that he does and all that he oversees, that he would see her, that he would notice her. Well, it brings forth a response in Mary. So what's your response this morning? Maybe, maybe for some of us, it will be a startled, fearful response. Because this idea that there's a God out there who sees you and sees even the dark bits of life, well, that's uncomfortable. To know that there's a God who sees the patterns of anger and of greed and of lust, who sees where you abuse your role or your power or where you are just lacking in compassion or following a way of sin to be seen, to know that you're seen can be unsettling. And his invitation this morning is in being seen to come into the light and to turn from that way of sin, to repent and to know him afresh, his grace afresh in that moment. But, you know, there might be some of us and our response is, well, big deal. Big deal. And to be honest, there might also be a little bit in there of, well, of course God sees me. He's meant to, after all. He's God. That's what he does. I'm I'm almost like I'm owed it. Like, I'm kind of owed this. Like, if he really loves me that much, I'm kind of owed to be seen by God. There's a degree of pride underneath there. But here's the truth, friends. God doesn't owe us a jot. He doesn't owe us anything. In fact, to be honest, because we've told him so often to take a hike and told him we want no part of him, we don't want to follow his ways, we don't want to give him his place in our lives, then then why should God even bother to see us? But he does. The wonder of it all is he does. 
And he showed it. He showed it in the babe who came at Christmas. So maybe instead of, of fear or apathy, maybe our response can be one of praise. One where we praise and glorify alongside Mary, this God who sees you, who sees us, who knows you better than any person who's going to give you any Christmas gift this year. So Mary now knows she is seen in her waiting. But what is Mary waiting for? What is this deep, raw yearning that she has carried over the years that when she hears it is going to be fulfilled, when there's going to be change, that erupts forth with praise? What is it she is waiting for? Well, let's go back to the very same verses we just read. His mercy extends from generation to generation. He has brought down rulers, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary speaks of God turning everything upside down. The prideful being lowered and the humble raised. The hungry being fed and the rich knowing something of that ache. Mary foretells of God going to do something. She's so sure it's going to happen, she speaks as if it has already happened. But she is foretelling of God bringing renewal, a renewal of all things which will affect society and politics down to the very real issues of life. In short, Mary is speaking about justice. Justice. In every commentary I looked at, everyone mentioned that this is about justice. And one commentator went on to say, God's mercy eventually expresses itself in power, redemption, and justice. Now, God's mercy in the Hebrew is hesed, and that has the idea of his loyal love. Because mercy can be a bit of a jargony kind of word. Think of it as his loyal love. And it expresses itself as he exerts his power to bring redemption, to bring freedom, and to bring justice. And for some of us, that is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Because we're going to say, well, just look on, Scott. Look on to Zechariah's song in verses 76 and 77. And John is going to come, and he's going to prepare the way for the one that will come after him. And, and that one, and together, they're going to be, be proclaiming a message about forgiveness of sins. Isn't it all about sins and being forgiven of your sins? And after all, we know from what the angel said to Mary that we have to call him Jesus. And if you go and dig into his meaning of the name, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, you see there that, that Jesus means the Lord saves, that he's come to save the people from their sins. So isn't Jesus just all about saving us from our sins? Why this talk of justice? Well, yes, Jesus does come to save us from our sins. But, it's yes, but. Yes, but not alone. Yes, but not in isolation. Yes, but not the final destination and not the sum of all God's plans. Because let's jump back to, to what Zechariah goes on to say after those very same verses. Because of the tender mercy, the tender loyal love of God, 
The rising sun, this promised one who will come, will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, those living in sin, those affected by sin, those suffering under the effects of sin, to guide our feet into the path of peace, into the path of shalom, that much greater wholeness that is more than just an absence of conflict, that wholeness that affects all of life, affects the individual life, and affects a community's life, a society's life. And so if we spiritualize the humble and poor of Mary's song, do you know what we do, folks? We rob God of glory. We rob God of glory. Because then we're limiting the scope of what he is coming to accomplish. But then maybe the majority of us are quite happy to spiritualize these scriptures because it fits our limited and privileged worldview. A worldview that actually sees so little and knows so little of the deep, raw yearning for justice which Mary knew and which she longed to see change. After all, it's easy to block out what we need to see. It's easy to not see injustice and to be lacking in a yearning for the kingdom to come that brings that concrete change in individuals' lives and in society. And I personally am amongst the most privileged here. I'm white, male, straight, married, with kids, pretty wealthy, and I'm in a position of influence and uh, meaning. Like, to be honest, really, what do I want for? Where do I really suffer? But if you are in any other category, if you are colored, female, gay, bisexual, single, divorced, poor, alone, downtrodden, then, then I reckon you know what I'm talking about. I reckon you will have experienced some form of injustice and you will share that deep, raw yearning of Mary. And for people like me, and for people here today who don't know that deep, raw yearning, we need to work all the harder to see it and to respond to that very real reality. I was listening to a sermon this past week uh, of, from a church in America that I like listening to. And it was one of the, the other pastors that was preaching. And, and she told the story of how um, when this past summer she had felt a call from God to, to go and, and draw nearer to the poor in her city. And she decided to, with a friend to go and work with the houseless. And on that very first day of going out amongst them, she realized how limited her sight had been. That for 15 years, these people, these camps in her city had been in her line of sight. But this was the first time she was seeing them, truly seeing them. And she remarked that as a species, we have this terrible ability to see what we want to see and to not see what we don't want to see. And she went home asking and praying, Lord, what else am I missing that's right in front of me? Some of us are like that speaker, both men and women amongst us today here. We're cozy in our bubbles of comfort. 
And by and large, as truth be told, we just want to be left alone. We just want to be left in peace to enjoy our way of living that we've become so accustomed to. But God calls us to see, to notice, to be mindful. Because as his people, we are to echo his character. The God who does see and the God who saw Mary. As a congregation, we've begun to make a few steps in this. We've got our Friends of Jesus group. We've got our gender-based violence team. We've partnered with Christians Against Poverty, and we've had a few spattering of sermons on justice, but, but maybe it's just so little, and maybe for some, so late. We need to care better. And I feel like there needs to be a degree of apology on my behalf that I can go through a whole year and one sermon will touch on justice. And I invite you, if you're someone who is uh, experiencing the pain of injustice, to come talk to me at some point. Let's get something in the diary and, and have a talk and just explore how, how can we better take steps to care better. And in the, the early new year, at some point, probably in January, you'll hear about an invitation to come along to gender-based violence training. And I'm mentioning this now so as to prepare you for that. Because that training is not about aiming at people who are probably likely to cause violence based on gender. You're probably not. And so you probably think, well, it's not relevant for me. But that training is about understanding the wider root causes which enable, sadly enable, a culture, develop a culture to facilitate violent ways. And we've run those, that course twice now, and only one man has attended. Guys, we need to step up. Because this won't change in our society without men engaging. And I know we're busy. And I know we're juggling lots of things. But this is really, really, really important. So when it comes out, please take note of that date. Get along. If you're on the Kirk session, you can forgo coming along if it happened to clash or whatever. It's that important. Be there. Because together, through us, through all the different things we might do and are doing, the Lord wants to draw alongside those who wait for justice. That they may know in their waiting they are seen by us and by the Lord. Because the wait for justice continues. And in part it continues because we wait for the king. Mary and Israel yearned for justice, but they knew it would only come about when the Messiah, the promised king, would come. They held to old promises from the prophet Isaiah, for instance, who said that a shoot would come up from the stump of Jesse and that he would judge the needy. He would, with justice he would give decisions for the poor of the earth. They knew this. They yearned for this. They knew that there would be this promised king and that Jesse, who had the son David, that there would be a son of the line of David who would come. And so what did we read today with the angel Gabriel? That Mary would conceive and give birth to a son and she was to call him Jesus and he'd be great and called the son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, who would reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom would never end. God was saying the time has come for this king to arrive, that this child Mary would bear, would be this promised king, would be descended from David, and would usher in this kingdom. And what do we see, friends, when this comes true? And the child is born. We see Jesus carrying out a ministry and teaching in ways that display the kingdom, which overturn human and demonic empires of this world, bringing wholeness to body and mind, bringing wholeness in society by reconciling divisions, bring wholeness to those who've been rejected and neglected, by helping them know that God sees them. And his ministry would one day lead to his victory. Where at Calvary, when the babe had grown to a man, that man would be nailed to a cross and suffer and die to ensure that his kingdom would one day be all in all. And that any who would bow the knee to him and let go of their throne, let go of their empire and allow him to rule in their lives, that then those would share in the peace, the wholeness, the justice, of his kingdom. And so for now, we continue to wait. We wait for our king and his kingdom. Yet in our waiting, are we like that of Mary, who said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Is that a core part of your identity, brothers and sisters? to be a servant of the Lord, that your life is not your own, that are you ready to give of yourself to his purposes, his priorities, no matter the lengths or costs? Because that was what Mary was signing up to that day, to follow, to serve her God, our God, because that same God saw her and he sees us And he went to the greatest of lengths. He left the glory of heaven for the squalor of stable. And he traveled the path of suffering that eventually led to torture and death on a cross so that we might receive the greatest gift, the gift of life, life in all its fullness, the life of the kingdom with our king, a life that was and is worth the wait. So as you wait, and maybe as you wait for justice, I call upon you to be a person who waits for the King. Because the King, the Lord Jesus, sees you. And His loyal love will one day give you the best gift by making all things new. I pray it may be so. Amen.